All right, so it's my honor uh, to introduce our special uh, guest speaker tonight. Uh, pastor Sam Miles is pastor of Midtown Baptist Temple uh, in the Kansas City area. If you open your booklet, you can see a short bio of him, a picture of his family. Uh, amazing man of God. God's used him tremendously uh, all over the world, quite honestly, uh, through his, his ministry, uh, through Living Faith Bible Institute. And, and maybe that's something that's new to you. Maybe that terminology is brand new. There's an insert inside your booklet tonight uh, that, that has some information about the Living Faith Bible Institute, which Pastor Sam is the, the president of, oversees that uh, Bible Institute. Brother, I don't know how many students right now are, are actively involved in LFBI. About 460 students uh, that, are, that are part of a Bible Institute that is, uh, that is promoted and proctored and taught by local church pastors. And I think that's the, the key is that it's, a, it's a, a collection of local churches that are partnering together for education, for training, uh, and for preparing for mission, uh, either stateside or abroad. And so I'm telling you, man, this is a gift uh, to have Pastor Sam Miles here tonight. And so as he comes, I want you to give him a good welcome, and uh, he's going to bring the Word of God to us. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I love you, brother. Thank you. Yeah, this will work. Um, yeah, just, uh, I'll put my coffee right here. That'll work. No, no, this is good. Okay, well, after an introduction like that, this can only be a letdown, so I'm sorry up front. Um, wow, I, it's, I've met a lot of people tonight, and it's uh, good to meet people who are like-minded, uh, brothers in Christ, it's obvious we've got the same Father, uh, that same Spirit is indwelling, and uh, it's, it's just rich to, to meet people that you don't actually know, but you know them, you know? And so I'm grateful. I'm grateful for time to just hang out with you guys and be able to spend some time in the Word with you. Um, if it's okay, I'm going to just lead us in prayer, um, you know, for whatever it's worth, Everybody in our, at MBT, everybody in our church knows about your churches, and, and uh, you're, you're a, a, a group of churches that we're grateful for. You set a good example. It's encouraging knowing that you guys are moving forward in faith. Uh, you're, you're, you're holding to good doctrine. You believe the book. <laughs> um, it's, um, it, it's good to not... Right, it's good to not be alone. Right, it's good to know there are other other groups out there, and so we really we're grateful for you guys. I want to pray for you, Father Lord. I thank you for my brothers. I thank you for this time that we have together. And Lord, we're asking that you would help us, God, tonight. Please help us, uh, not because we deserve it, but because we're your children. Uh, we belong to you, and and Lord, if there are any tonight that do not know that they know that their sins have been born 2,000 years ago to the cross of Calvary, and that your wrath has been satisfied over every wicked and evil thing we have ever done or ever will do. Lord, I pray that tonight would be the night where uh, eyes would be opened and, and uh, that, 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 that someone would be able to believe on and receive Christ, uh, even if it's... Even if it's uh, I know for a lot of people, growing up in church especially, we pray a prayer because we want to go to heaven. Uh, we'll pray it as a child, and then we'll wonder why 
Uh, we don't have an appetite for you, for your word, uh, for the things of God. And, and um, we think, well, that's just what it's like to be a Christian. And, and Lord, you know, a lot of us got inoculated against the gospel. I mean, that was me. Uh, up until I was 12, I, I prayed a prayer and I thought I was on my way to heaven because I, I made a reservation somehow through saying the words. And, and uh, Lord, just thank you for showing me the exceeding sinfulness, sinfulness of my sin, my desperate need for you, and, and just the truth of the gospel, to, be, to believe on the gospel. What a, what a privilege that is. Uh, and so, Lord, have your way with every man, with every heart. God, we want we want you to have the preeminence. That means we need to submit to your word. We need to humble ourselves before you. And, and so, God, would you help us to do that tonight? God, would you help me? Uh, would you take my stumbling lips and the weakness of who I am and just set all of that aside? And, and Lord, through what your word says and the power of your Holy Spirit, transform us, conform us to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ that much more. Uh, tonight, we pray all in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, you know, I, I couldn't come up with two better B words. You know, in Colossians chapter 3, husbands are commanded not to be bitter, and fathers aren't supposed to provoke their children to wrath. So husbands don't be bitter, and fathers don't be a butt. Okay, that's the best I could come up with. But we're going to really just be looking at Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 through 21. That's our anchor passage. And and we're just going to work from that passage. That's our anchor port, uh, anchor point that, that we're going to just use to consider what God's Word uh, says over our lives. And I want us to see how important it is that, that, that we relate rightly in our relationships. We need to see how important it is over how we relate in our relationships. And then obviously, primarily with our wives and our children... If you're not married, some of you, you might be mentally checking out, well, I'm not married, so this, nothing that's said is going to be for me, and well, you never know, hope springs eternal, tomorrow's a new day, you, you may find, you may find yourself singing and skipping like a school, okay, so uh, there's always tomorrow, but then you have relationships in your life, and, and uh, the word of God should give insight into those relationships, and so we're just going to trust that the word will meet, meet each of us exactly where we're, where we're at, all right? So if you're not married, that's okay. There's going to be application to our relationships, but, but Lord willing, prep for that future relationship uh, with your wife. Okay, so here's just, uh, just an introductory statement. Our relationships, and I hope we all recognize this, our relationships with one another must be right before the Lord. They have to be right before the Lord. Our relationships have to be right before the Lord. Now, what will happen, though, is, is a lot of people will say, yeah, that's true, but what you don't understand is this relationship has these extenuating circumstances, and that relationship over there, this happened, and so now I'm justified in throwing that person away. And so we have all these reasons for why we don't have to relate rightly in these relationships, even though we would all say we must be right in our relationships with one another. We're all a bunch of hypocrites. Do you see that? We must right? Relate rightly. Our relationships with one another must be right before God. And, and so by way of example, in Colossians chapter 3, if you're not right with your wife, you cannot say you're right with God. If you're not right with your wife, you're not right with your father in heaven. Well, she ain't ever been right with me, pastor. You don't understand what I'm dealing with. 
Okay, so, so then you're, you're caught in this trap of running a tit-for-tat relationship. She did this, so I'm going to do that. She's mad at me, and so I'm going to give her the silent. It's going to come across as the strong, silent treatment, you know, strong, silent man who is too chicken to talk about how his wife hurt his widow feelings. And so, you know, what happens is she did this, so I'm going to do that, and it's just tit for tat. And that's a terrible relational dynamic. First Peter chapter 3, verse 7 says, Likewise, you husbands, likewise, you husbands, just like your wife, it wasn't about how she rolls on the outside, what she can do with her visage or the way that she looks. It's about who she is on the inside before the Lord. Is she genuinely, as a child of God, following as a child of God? Is she manifesting? Is she, is she manifesting what it means to have a relationship with Christ from the heart? Is she the real deal or not? Just like she has to roll in sincerity and truth. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them. Dwell with your wives according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. And as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. So if you're not right with your wife, you can say whatever you want. And, and there, might be a, there might be ten different reasons for why you can't be with your, you, uh, in terms of how you're rolling with your wife. It can't be right because she is this big, hot, giant mess that goes by your last name. Okay, so you've got these reasons for why you're not right with, you're not right with God. You're not right with your wife. You're not right with God. And that's worse than your wife not being right with you. Pastor, you don't understand what my wife has done, who she is, and what you, you don't understand the, the, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows my sorrow. Nobody, okay. That's bad, but what's worse is now you're not right with the Father. It's worse than your wife not being right with you because you're the head. Ephesians 5.23 says, the husband is the head of the wife. Even as Christ is the head of the church and he is the savior of the body. See, you're in a place of greater authority. Uh, Do I need to call out the blanks? I have to do that at home. I have to call out the blanks. Because otherwise, at the end of every service, you got about five or six people who said, I missed this blank or I missed that blank. So if I call out the blanks, it's... It's just how I roll in Kansas City. Authority, that's what goes in the blank. You're in a place of greater authority. See, the result is that you as the husband have the greater responsibility. The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. You have the greater responsibility, and with that comes greater accountability. Accountability, that's what goes in your blank. Let me give you a cross-reference for that. Luke chapter 12, verse 42 gives you a principle in terms of how God deals with his servants. Luke 12, 48 says, he knew not, he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes, but unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall much be required. And to whom men have committed much, of him will they ask the more. The person who has the greater position of power and authority, right, they have greater responsibility. With that comes accountability. And notice in this example, the beatens. You may, be, you may be of a mind that says, well, my wife has to do what I say because I'm bigger and stronger and I'm the husband. Well, okay, so that is no way to go through life. Might does not make right. Position does not make right. And if you're thinking because you're the big boy and you're in the big boy chair, now she just has to do what I tell her. 
Well, there's somebody bigger than you, and he can put you right over his knee. Uh, Check out the book of Hebrews. If he loves you, he will tan your hide. Okay, there's somebody always bigger and stronger. So being an authority doesn't make you right. It makes you more accountable. It makes you more responsible. In the example of the pastor at James chapter 3, my brethren, be not many pastors. Oh, man, I, I'm, I'm so impressed with Jay Shug. When I grow up, I want to be a pastor just like Jay. No, you don't. No, you don't. I mean, if you're going to be a pastor, be a pastor like Jay. But uh, this is what James says, my brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall have, we shall receive the greater condemnation with greater authority comes greater responsibility and accountability, and you're going to answer for it at the judgment seat of Christ. You ever check out Hebrews? Obey them that rule. Why? So that the judgment seat of Christ is a good day for you. Which means, okay, if anybody's thinking about ministry leadership, you're thinking about that, and that sends a shiver up your, uh, up your spine. I mean, I have, to, I have to recognize that the judgment seat of Christ is going to be a super long time for me. Because every member I've pastored, they're not just giving an account, but I've got to give an account. This is why I'm just sold. Okay, just in terms of the pastorate, you want to say what the Bible says. And you want to give yourself to saying what the Bible says as much as you can say what the Bible says to as many people as will listen to what the Bible says. And I do that because I'm, I mean, I think it's right, but also I think it's safe. Because I'm going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ and, and whenever they're given an account over the fact that those works, they're being tried of what sort they are and, and a whole lot of stuff's just going up in smoke and there just doesn't seem to be a lot of sil- silver, gold, precious stones, you know, the Lord's going to look at me like, and I want to be able to say, well, I told him. I told him. He obviously did. I told him. I, I don't know if I'll get to do that, but that's the game plan. Uh, that's what I'm hoping. I don't know. Uh, be not many masters. I remember when I was a kid growing up. How are we doing? Okay. As a kid growing up, I, I, uh, I saw some poor examples of pastoring. Uh, some of them were downright heartbreaking, uh, home wrecking. It was really hard to watch. And uh, that got in my head. You know, I'm 14 years old. And I remember telling the Lord, I. God, I love you. I'll do whatever you want, but I'll never be a pastor or a missionary, and I'm not marrying an ugly woman. <laughs> Hand to God. That's, that was my, I'm yours without any reservation. Well, except two. I'm not going to go into the ministry, and I'm not marrying some ugly toad. That's not going to happen. So one out of two is not bad. Do, you, you can do the math on that. I am not insulting my wife. Uh, She's got it. Okay, so um, I looked at what I was seeing in the pastorate, and, and it turned my stomach, you know. Uh, there's a greater responsibility. There's a greater accountability. Well, the same thing's true for you, husband. Uh, you have this position of you are the head, just as Christ is the head of the church. That ought to make you pee a little when you think about it. Uh, It's not manly to wet yourself, but something ought to scare you. And the thought that I have to stand before Almighty God and give an account for how I've led my wife, when I really start thinking about it and I read about the judgment seat of Christ and I read about the aspect of it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Bible calls it the terror of the Lord. It kind of makes me want to pee a little. 
I, don't, I can't afford to be cavalier. I can't afford to, to be loosey-goosey in terms of how I'm leading my family. It's got to be by the book. I have to do it right. With that authority comes greater accountability. So husbands have authority, but here's the key. Don't be authoritarian. Okay, that's your next blank. You have authority. That doesn't mean you should roll in an authoritarian way. Uh, It's really weak whenever you have to scream at people, you will respect my authority. You know, that's just, that's weak leadership. That's authoritarian. It's like uh, you see this at church. Young people, they'll, they'll step into ministry, and finally, now they're going to just show everybody how it's done. And all of a sudden, right, they get into a leadership position in the church, and they're like, I'm in charge now, and you're going to really see how ministry is going to get done. And so you have to do exactly what I say the way that I say it, and I want you out of every other ministry because mine's the most important, you know. And so and what are they? They're being authoritarian. You have to do what I say the way I say it. Pull out my agenda is your only agenda, your only priority. I'm the big deal in your life. I'm showing you how it's really done. That's authoritarian. Why? Okay, again, James chapter 3, verse 13. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation, out of a good lifestyle, out of his life, his works with meekness of wisdom. Verse 14 says, but if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, we're going to come back to that problem of bitterness in the heart. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not, and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. Where envying and strife is, there's confusion in every evil evil work. What should come out of your ministry leadership? What should come out of your marriage? How you lead your wife? Well, it ought to be with meekness of wisdom. That's, 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 that's how we want our wives to describe us. My husband, just in meekness and wisdom, leads me in this, in this life, in this world. Bitter envying and strife, she's not rolling the way that I want her to roll, and so I'm mad about it half the time. Uh, you can't just glory in that she's wrong in how she's treating you, and you're right and justified in how you're despising her. This wisdom is sensual. It's devilish. Authoritarian leadership is not Christ. It's antichrist. That's your next blank. It's not Christ. It's antichrist. Authoritarian leadership, it does not lead. It doesn't shepherd like Christ shepherds his bride. No, no, no. It forces. Have you ever read Revelation chapter 14? The antichrist, is he a good shepherd, gently leading his flock by still green pastures, still waters? No, it's his way or the highway. You're going to do it or he's cutting your head off, right? I mean, the Antichrist, he's not shepherding. He's, he's, not, he's not an authority. He's authoritarian. He's not leading. He's forcing. And so many, and, and I've dealt with this so many times over the years, so many marriage relationships, the husband is not an authority. He's rolling in an authoritarian way. He's not showing Christ to his wife. He's actually manifesting antichrist he's not leading he's forcing it's his way or the highway and his wife sure looks happy never christ is the good shepherd so keep going in james 3 god's wisdom but the wisdom verse 17 that is from above is first pure then peaceable gentle and easy to be entreated full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy man 
I would love it if I could grow to the point where that's how my wife described me. Hey, tell me about your husband. Well, he's just, he's got some wisdom. He's, he's just pure. He's very peaceable. He's gentle. I can talk. I got a problem. I can come to him. He does something that upsets me. I can explain to him how it hurt. And he's not going to get all defensive and start self-justifying. And he's so easy to be entreated. He's full of mercy and good fruits. Without partiality, without hypocrisy. It's just like getting a friend. You know, if you want to have friends, you have to first show yourself friendly. The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Some of us just need to make peace. Honey, I'm sorry. I've been offended and upset and basically throwing a temper tantrum. I'm done with the war. (laughs) I want to make peace. Again, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Just like from the heart, who she is is what really matters. Likewise, you husbands, dwell with them, with your wives, according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. See, I know I'm stronger than my wife. Um, I'm, I would... I would actually bet she can't bench press even a quarter of what I can bench press, okay? I know for a fact I'm stronger than my wife. I can outrun her. (laughs) She can get mad and want to punch me with her tiny little ineffectual fists. And I can just laugh and just run. I mean, I'm bigger, I'm faster, I'm stronger. I know that I'm stronger than her. So I don't have to force it. I don't have to prove it. Instead, from a position of strength, I can protect. I can lead. I can guide. I can encourage, just like the Lord Jesus Christ does me. Am I bigger, badder than Jesus? Jesus, you're not giving me what I want, so I'm going to force you. I'm gonna... No, he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. I can't extort him. I can't make him do anything. I can get upset with him and waste my time. Oh, but man, I can submit to him. You know, he's, he has, I mean, he has, he has only ever been good to me from his position of strength. He encourages me daily in his word. He uses my circumstances to show me how desperately I need him. Jesus has been nothing but good to me. As my Lord, he has never lorded over me. Have you ever noticed that about your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? He's not a tyrant. He doesn't treat you like antichrist. He can't. He's Christ, by the way. But he doesn't treat you like that. He leads. That's how he rolls with his bride, with his wife. Yes, he's stronger than me, but he doesn't rub my face in it. He doesn't, he doesn't spend all of his time showing me how stupid I am, what I don't know, how emotional and illogical I am. <laughs> Think about it. Okay, so he, do, he doesn't do me that way. He doesn't treat me that way. See, I know I'm the head. I'm her husband, so I don't have to lord over my wife, just like your pastor does not get to lord over this church. Your pastor doesn't get to lord over Jesus' bride. So why would we get to lord over our brides? So just 1 Peter chapter 5. Pastors. This is how pastors have to roll. They don't get to lord. The elders which are among you, I exhort, who, all, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the joy that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint but willingly, 
not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage. They don't exist for your satisfaction. They don't exist to meet your goals. They're not, an end, they're, they're not the means to your end. You're not lord over God's heritage. But you're to be an example to the flock, verse 3. And when the, sheep, uh, the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. So in terms of the relationships that God has you in, especially in those leadership relationships, whether you're discipling someone, uh, you're leading a Bible study, you're leading a bride, you're leading a family, do you exercise your authority to the glory of God or are you weak? In other words, is it, does it have to be your way or the highway? Are you authoritarian? Do you guys see the difference between having a position of strength and authority versus being a bully, being authoritarian because you can Here's the danger. God despises abuse. So he despises abusers. He despises neglect and abandonment. So whenever you think about your marriage relationship, is your wife, is your wife backed into a corner or is she with you? Have you been leading your bride or are you just commanding from your position as head, from your position of strength, Are you leading your wife so that her heart safely trusts in you, that you have her heart? She knows she has yours. And she's like, I'm with him. I love him. Where he leads, I will follow. Or does she feel backed in a corner? Because God despises abuse. The extreme example of its divorce in Malachi chapter 2, though, you see God's attitude or his heart towards men mistreating their brides. God's calling them out, and they say, how? You know, what have we done? Because the Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth, against whom thou hast dealt treacherously. Yet she is thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. Did did he not make one? And did not he make one? Yet had he the residue of the Spirit, and wherefore one, that he might seek a godly seed. Therefore take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. God sees how we treat our wives, and, and, and sometimes the way we roll, it offends him. See, our hearts are supposed to be for our wife because she's our treasure. She is the wife of our youth. She is the wife of our covenant. She's this covenant relationship before God. She is our companion. Our hearts should be for the treasure that she is that God has given to us. And again, some of you might be sitting here listening to this saying, well, pastor, you haven't met my wife. There's there's an exception to every rule, and I'm married to one. Okay, well, we'll keep working on that. So just like your relationship has to be right with your wife, if it's going to be right with God, so also, here's another example, if you're not right with your brethren, you're not right with God. And you see that principle in Scripture, just a couple cross-references, Matthew 5, 23, you're bringing a sacrifice, a gift to the altar. And there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against, against thee. Leave therefore thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother and then come, bring your devotions to Christ. Right Then come and offer thy gift. Romans 16 verse 17, I beseech you brother, mark them which cause divisions and, con- and offenses contrary to the doctrines which you have learned and avoid them. For they, are, for they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And 
It's through their words and fair speeches. The Bible says that they deceive our brothers and sisters, the hearts of the simple. So we can't say that we're right with God if we're making a mess with God's people. Uh, God sees that the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. So let's keep the focus where we need to in, in Colossians 3.18. Uh, you know, the husband-wife dynamic. Okay, so think about the beginning of your relationship with your bride versus how it is now. Contrast the beginning of a new relationship with the problems of an old relationship. A new relationship has problems. You just don't know what they are yet. Right? Everybody starts out ignorant. And then you start learning. You start discovering. And you realize what's wrong. And, and, and the, the joy of a healthy marriage relationship is working out those problems together and, and doing it in a way that's biblical, that honors God, that's edifying, that's building each other up. Um, but in a new relationship, it's just all roses. Everything's great. Now, an old one, you know what all the problems are. It's like you're, when you drove that new car off the lot. It was perfect for just a few miles. And then, you know, and now look at the heap you're driving. Okay, so new relationship, old problems. New love versus old problems. And for a lot of guys, they get to the place where they forget the truth of Proverbs eighteen twenty two: Whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth the favor of the Lord. Well, pastor, it's like everything else in life. Milk's a good thing, but just doesn't set on the shelf forever, does it? It always goes sour, given enough time. It's the way of all humanity, pastor. Uh, Jesus gives the principle in John 2.10, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk, then that which is worse. She's just, we're well drunk, pastor. <laughs> and she's just producing that which is worse. She's just gotten to the worst stage, I guess. Okay, look at Colossians 3, verse 18. Really what we're doing today and tomorrow is, I've just got one message I'm preaching. We're just going to divide this message up into three sections, and it'll reflect that in your notes. But Colossians 3, what we're going to see here in these verses, it gives the code for a godly and glad household. Colossians 3, verse 18. Hus wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands... Love your wives and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. So first, let's talk about the role, the dynamic of the roles between the wives and the husband. Every husband loves verse 18. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. This is where we become biblical literists. Um, this, is, this is the word of God. Every word of God is pure. We have the certainty of the words of truth, right? I mean, husbands love verse 18. The Bible says it, so that settles it. Let's just get to living it, woman. So wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. Amen. Honey, did you hear the word of the Lord? Excuse me, sir. <clears throat> Excuse me. Do you have time to talk about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Hey, don't run from the Lord. Where are you going? <laughs> That's how we end up finding ourselves. Honey, you got to submit. <laughs> She's just walking away. The companion passage to this is Ephesians 5, 521. Have you seen those? Don't run from the Lord. They're hilarious. Okay. 
Ephesians 5.21, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. Amen? I mean, it's in the Bible. Amen. Praise the Lord. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Just like every man loves Colossians 3.18, every man, every husband loves Ephesians 5.21, or 22 through 24. We love it. It's just like uh, in First Peter chapter 3. Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. Uh, man, praise God for his word. It just, it just settles so many issues in the marriage relationship. We can point to scripture. Honey, I've got a word from God over your life. And it just, it's, it just solves so much. Okay, wives. Submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Okay, two keys here that men typically like to gloss over. Okay, yes, the wives need to submit. That's the first key to verse 18. But here's the second one, as it is fit. Submit as it is fit. So what would be the negative application? If it's not fit, you must not submit. If it's not fit, wasn't that a famous... I'm riffing off of a famous trial, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, huh? If the glove don't fit, you must acquit. Yeah, right. Uh, if it's not fit, she must not submit. Do you see what the word is saying to your wife? And that's good for them, and it's bad for you because it puts all the responsibility and accountability for their appropriate submission to you. It puts it on you, right? You, you have to be fit to submit to. So it's on you. They're accountable to submit. You have to make sure that they can. Those are your next blanks, by the way. You have to make sure that they can. They have to submit. You better be at a place where they can. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. As it is fit. They're to be accountable to. But are you in the Lord? Are you unto the Lord? So let me give you an example of this. It's really ridiculous, but it'll help make the point. If you're looking at 2020, 2021, and man, COVID has just gotten really rough and, and sales are low or whatever, it's, cash is getting really tight. I don't know how we're going to, I don't know how we're going to keep moving forward uh, financially. And so, honey, I need you to get that little red dress and I need you to put that on and I want you to work the street corner and make daddy some money. You're the husband, you just gave a command. Should she obey you? Should she submit unto you? To her, your, your, her own husband? Should she, should she obey you in that? Well, obviously, we all know the answer to that. No. And, I mean, no guy's going to ask his wife to do that. But guys put their wives in impossible situations all the time, don't they? This is why God tells our bride, submit to your own, to your own husbands, not to somebody else's husbands. Submit to your own husbands, but as it's fit in the Lord. Is God honored? Is God okay? So this is the question. Are you fit to submit to? Are you fit to submit to? Are you a man? You say, my wife's got, she just has a hard time submitting to me. Well, this would be an invitation to go look in the mirror and to spend some time with an open Bible and uh, find out what's wrong. How come, how come my honey, how come my precious, how come my sweetie isn't, isn't able to submit to me? You know your Bibles. You remember this is how Eve got into trouble. She 
didn't submit to her own husband. She was submitting to the wrong man in the Garden of Eden. You read that story in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. According to 1 Timothy chapter 2, Eve was deceived, and in 2 Corinthians 11, she was beguiled. She was listening to the wrong man, and she believed his lies. Satan didn't care for Eve. He did not love Eve. He was for her abuse and destruction, and he told her what to do, and it was wrong. It wasn't fit in the Lord. John chapter 8 and verse 44, Jesus gives us insight into Satan's motivations He says to the religious rulers, you're of your father the devil and the lusts of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh it of his own for he is a liar and the father of it. Why does he, why was he not fit to submit to? Well, because he's a liar. He's lying on God's word. He's got his own agenda that he wants to convince her to follow. He doesn't care what the Bible says. As a matter of fact, in Satan's case, he actually did. He wants her to rebel against God's word. But let's just extrapolate that into the typical relational dynamic between a a husband who is not fit to submit to. He doesn't care what the Word of God says. He just wants what he wants. He doesn't care that his wife is not being edified. He just wants what he wants. So he lies against the Word of God. I'll bet you some of you in this room have said something to the effect to your bride. It doesn't matter what the Bible says. I'm telling you. Husband, do you follow Satan in being abusive to your bride, or do you esteem her better than yourself? Do you demand that she lays her life down doing what you want, whether or not it's contrary to God's word? Or do you esteem her better than yourself? The first Adam followed Satan's lead and joined her in her destruction. Man, we desperately need to live out the last Adam, don't we? That's what Christ did with his bride. We need to live out the last Adam with our bride. Pastor, you don't understand what a hot mess my wife is. I don't think you get it. She just doesn't make me happy, and I think it's on purpose. Well, okay, get to work. Ephesians 5, that's your homework, verses 25 through 30. Lay your life down knowing her, delighting in her, helping her. (laughs) Lay down your rights, loving her. I mean, think about how Jesus won your heart. How did Jesus win your heart? Was it that you had to first meet his every expectation before he would unconditionally and without reservation give of himself to you? No. God was not willing that any would perish. And so he gave his only begotten son. And Jesus said, I want a bride. And so he went and he took upon him the sins of his bride. It wasn't that he came to us and said, well, you know, if, if we're going to have a future together, you're going to have to shave up. And here's what this is going to look like. And until you meet my expectations, I'm holding out. You can't have any of this goodness until you get it. No, that's not how it worked. That's the second Adam. And and that's how he captured your heart. So you keep reading, right? Are you a savior to your wife? Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So uh, what you'll want to do is you're going to want to have... Uh, Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3. We're just going to keep jumping back and forth. So 5.25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Colossians 3.19 says the same. So let's jump in here in Ephesians 5. Does she know, does your wife, is she convinced that you're completely given to her, that you're completely given over for her, for her benefit? 
Does she know? Does your wife know for a fact that you believe she's better than you? Does she know that? A lot of guys will make jokes like, yeah, I really married up, because that's what dudes say. Ah, I really married up, but that's not in their heart. Because you know you're faster, smarter, stronger, whatever. you got more common sense. She's not meeting her expectations, and so she's miserable in, you know, X number of different ways. No, does your wife actually believe that you think that she's better than you? Um, sometimes I'll joke with my wife. Okay, so all my kids are really smart. Um, and if my wife, if my wife were, were standing right here, you would see why. I don't know how she pulls it off, but she's got a giant melon. I mean, and I'm not, I didn't say that plural. She's got a, she's got a big (laughs) noodle, okay? Her, her brain pan is extra large. She's got this, it's like a, it's like a pumpkin on a toothpick, you know? I mean, it's just this massive brain pan sitting on this beautiful little body, she's actually an extremely intelligent person. Well, I have to tell her all the time, honey, just don't forget, I'm smarter than you. I, keep, I have to keep rem- reminding her of that. And I'll do that in jest because all of my kids have that big, giant Robertson brain pan on, 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 their, on their bodies, you know. And they're just really smart kids. Well, I know. <clears throat> my wife, in terms of our spiritual de- development, she has beaten me to every phase of conformity to Christ. Like, I, I know in my heart that she's actually better than me. Like, I, like I don't have to reckon it. <laughs> like Jesus had to, do you get where we're going here in Philippians chapter 2? Jesus had to account it so. Now, I'm not calling him a liar at all. I would never do that. But do you think you're better than Jesus? Anybody in this room, like, I'm faster, I'm smarter, I'm brighter, I'm this, that, that, better than Jesus? No. But check it out. I mean, this blows my mind. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. If there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. And here's the key, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. It's hard to squabble with someone whenever they just need to get what they, what they want because they're better than you. They're ahead of you. They're places before you. Uh, there's no strife and vainglory because whatever they want goes. That's what they need. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And then he gives an example of how this works in the person, mind, and mission of Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You want to know what it looks like to esteem someone better than yourself? Here it is. It's Ephesians 5. Give yourself sacrificially. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Why? He's God. But made himself of no reputation. He took last place. He made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. My death, your death, even the death of the cross. Now, who here can read that and not get conflicted? 
I've read that, I, don't, I can never tell you how many times I've read that passage, and I'm conflicted every time. Who here can say, yeah, 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 that's Jesus, is, he's got it together, I'm, I'm, I'm better than him in every way, I'm the smartest, bestest, most reasonablest, etc., etc., person I know. Of course he esteemed me better. Nobody thinks that way, right? Nobody would entertain that thought even for a second. And yet that's what he reckoned because he gave his life for ours. <laughs> that blows my mind. I mean, whenever you, you, I mean, you think about who you are compared to the creator. Think about Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the word. The word's with God. The word was God. And then we find out everything that was made was made by him. And he knows every tear you've ever spilt. He knows every hair count on your head. I mean, probably in real time. He knows you better than you know yourself. He probably has every bacterium in your body named. Probably has a little conversation with him every once in a while. Hey, Fred, how's it going in Sam's gut? It's a little crowded down here. You know, it's a, like he, I, I guarantee you, Jesus Christ knows and probably has named every quantum particle in the known universe. It's by him that all things consist. It's in him that we live and move and have our being. Who is he? I mean, he is the all in all. He is the beginning and the end. He is the first and the last. Without him, we don't consist. He is all power. He is all might. He is all glory. And I'm just Sam. Like, who am I compared to him? And that he would esteem me better than himself, that he'd take my sin and see it, see God's wrath poured out over his life because of what I did, because of how I rolled, because I, I'm going to need all of eternity just to get my head around that. I don't understand it. I'll never say he was wrong because I'm so glad I'm saved. But I don't understand it. He did that for us. And we can't do that for our brides. Man, come on. You have to reckon her, esteem her, account her, believe her better than yourself get the mind of christ reckon it true about her just as christ did over you and if we're honest most of us know we actually did marry up shouldn't be a tough shouldn't be a tough imagination exercise verse 26 526 that he might sanctify and cleanse it his bride with the washing of water by the word does your wife see your support in her spiritual growth, in her spiritual blessings? Are you making sure that she's got time in Bible study, that she's got time with her sisters in Christ? Are you supporting her growth? Christ's goal for us, verse 27, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. She's always buying stuff. She's always buying stuff to beautify. Um, you're like, why are you buying more than that for it's uh, how many pounds of that stuff do you need? Uh, man, supporter. Uh, again, we're talking about the woman, right? The hidden man of the heart. But are we for her being a glorious bride? That she has what she needs to present herself glorious to you. That it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. No man ever yet hateth his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, 
and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. You know, you take really good care of yourself. Uh, You say, well, I really don't. I mean, check me out. I'm really out of shape. Well, that's because you spent so much time taking care of yourself at a buffet. You made sure that you had what you wanted the way you wanted it when you wanted it. That's why you went to work. You did what you could to make sure that you took care of you. Most people take care of themselves, or at least they do what it takes to make themselves happy. And most people live their life with the overriding question, what do I need today? What do I want today? And then they go try to get that. And the greatest gift that you can give to your marriage is to flip that script and say, what does she need today? What does my wife need today? Um, My wife got cancer uh, in December of last year. And I made the mistake of going online and reading all about the type of cancer that she had before I visited with the oncologist. And for three days, I thought I was losing my wife. It was a bad cancer in a great place. (laughs) Uh, It was uh, catchable. Uh, If it had gotten out, it would have been a game over, man. You know, I mean, that's what, like, I'm going to lose this woman. And then it's like the judgment seat. And I'm thinking about all of the things that I missed, all of the things that I, that, I, that I forgot, all of the things that I failed. It's like I could have done so much more with this woman and for this woman in the time that we had together. And I'm afraid I'm going to lose her now. <laughs> what an idiot I am. It was a wake-up call for me. Uh, I'm grateful for my wife. She's someone that I can presume upon. I can actually take her for granted. Uh, she is not just a help meet. She goes above and beyond. Okay? She's far better than anything I deserve. And so I'm realizing I'm way too presumptive. I'm, 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 I'm way too assumptive where my bride is concerned. There's all of these things that are going on in her life over the years that, that, that I would say, oh, you know, hon, I love you. Pat her on the bottom. It'll be okay. I'm here for you, big, strong, silent type, <laughs> you know. And I'm not saying that it's even a, 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 a fear or, a, or an avoidance mechanism in men. Most of us, stereotypically, men are like silverback gorillas, right? I mean, we just kind of knuckle drag and grind a little bit. I mean, I, that's how I'm wired. Uh, we could speak a couple words every six months, and I think we're having a great conversation. We've got a good relationship. I don't need to emote with people to love them. Or assume that they love me. You know, I just run that way. <laughs> um, I, could, I could live in, on a deserted island for a year and be just fine. They say people go crazy. I, I, I'd probably just take a nap, you know. <laughs> it's just men, you know. We, we don't, we're not. Now, again, there's the exception that proves the rule. But, but I'm not by design or inclination a, a big motor, <laughs> you know. And so I'll communicate to my wife so many times over the years. I've communicated to her the way that I would communicate to me. It'll be fine. Just bull forward. Get back in there, Gipper. You know, it's, it's going to be okay. What has my wife needed from me all of these years? And now she's going to, I can't go, I can't go provide that. I can't go fix that. I can't go make that happen. And, uh. I'm not batting a thousand because my schedule's weird, but every day that I'm home, 
and my schedule will allow it. I typically get up a little earlier than my wife. Um, I know what she loves. How many know what I'm talking about? Some of you are like, <laughs> I know what you're talking about. No, that don't fly at my house. I can't wake her up like that. Um, bringing her a cup of coffee the way she likes it. And I just bring it. Well, from about, from about uh, January to probably May of this year, Every morning. I'm trying to keep it together because I'm like, God, thank you that I can do this for her. Thank you that she's even in my life, that I can be able to provide just a little blessing, something that will just make her happy. And she always goes through the same ritual. Mm. (laughs) She does her thing, you know. I'm just like, okay, she could just make her own coffee. Like, her hands aren't broke. Her back's not broke. She could walk over the coffee. She could make a cup of coffee. She loves it whenever I esteem her better than my, and I just do it. I just bring her that cup of coffee. What a privilege it is to be able to do that for her. Now, again, that's a silly little illustration, but it makes the point. Your wife is there for you. You get to lay your life down, loving her, investing in her going after, capturing, and keeping, and shepherding her heart. She's there so that you can you get the privilege of being able to do that. You get to the judgment seat of Christ, and you see all the missed opportunities, all the ways that you could have been bringing glory to God over how you invested the word of God in the lives of people, how you represented him in a dark and lost and dying wicked world, and you didn't take those opportunities. And you're going to say, if I could just have it back, just a, if I could just get a week back. I'd make up so much lost time, you know? You're not going to have her forever. You just get a little moment in time with that woman, and she is there for you to get to die to yourself, to lay down your life loving her, to blessing her, to esteeming. She's there for you. You get to esteem her better than yourself, and you only get a little bit of time. And so many guys are so miserable because they think their wife is their adversary. And she's just, man, come on, man, just take up your cross and die already. Just, just give up. One of the greatest gifts you could give to your wife is stop whining about what a, what a jerk she is to the Lord and say, that's your daughter. She's your problem. <laughs> you deal with her. I'm just going to be the man you called me to be in her life. I'm done trying to fix her and get her to think straight, get her to wake up and smell the I'm done with all of that. Um, I'm not going to lie to you, Lord. That woman's crazy. You've really got your work cut out for you. But that's not my problem. I'm going to be who you called me to be and I'll let her worry about her relationship with you. Is this making sense? You wake up, what do I need? What do I want? Man, flip that script. What can I do for her? What does she need from me? In Genesis 3, so I, I guess I got a little weepy. Sorry, guys. Um, it's a, 
men's retreat. I'm supposed to. Is there some tissue? And uh, if not, no, no problem. You can just listen to me suck some snot or something. Okay. Can you cut the mic for one sec? Thanks. Okay, and that was for dessert, so, sorry. This is gross. What does she need from me? Okay, so let's just go back to your role. Okay, I need to fulfill my role. What are you? Well, your title is what? Husband, and that word first shows up. Adam, Genesis 3, 6. Adam was Eve's husband. She gave to her husband. He ate also. So what is a husband? Well, a husband is a husbandman, right? You know the word husband. What's a husbandman? A husbandman is a, is a gardener. Your role in your marriage relationship is to be the gardener that God designed you to be. Well, my wife is not a daffodil. What are you talking about? Yes, she is. She is your garden. A husbandman is a gardener. So here's Adam in the garden, and it's his job. He has responsibility in that garden. He's told by God what he is to do with this garden. He is to dress it, and he is to keep it. So he is to provide for, care for it, and he is to protect it. Do you see that? He's to dress, and he's to keep that garden. Well, that's what a husbandman does. He dresses, and he protects. He guards, he, he, he provides, and he keeps. He guides, he provides, and he guides, or he guides, and he guards. So it'd be like... Again, a silly illustration, but you've got a tomato plant because you love tomatoes. That's why you got one. And you, 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 um, you remember New Love? That little tomato plant was a little, just a, just, just, just a little older than a seedling. You remember how green it was and how luscious it was? And you remember, you remember when you brought your tomato plant home? Like, we're gonna be happy forever. I just. I'm so glad that you're in my life, and I'm going to plant you, and it's going to be great, and I'm going to be eating tomatoes. <laughs> it's going to be so good. I'm going to be eating those tomatoes, and, and, then, and then you're out there. You just fast forward a few days or a few weeks. You're out there, and you're just stomping on that tomato plant. I mean, you're just driving it into the ground. Why? Well, because there's no tomatoes. Uh, there's not even a tomato plant. Uh, all that's left is that. Do the deer eat tomato plants? here in Alabama, because they sure do in Kansas City. If you don't cage your tomato plants, you can't keep a tomato plant in Kansas City. And if you don't guard that tomato plant, you're not going to get the fruit. The squirrels are going to get it. And those little jerks, they grab that tomato, they take one bite, and they literally throw it down, they go on to the next one. Who, who raised them? Okay, so <laughs> you're... You're mad because I brought you into my life so I could have tomatoes and you haven't done anything for me. Is it the tomato plant's fault that you don't have tomatoes in this scenario? Is it the tomato plant's fault? Whose fault is it that you're not eating tomatoes? It's the gardener's fault. The tomato plant can't protect itself. It can't provide for itself. It can't water. It can't do anything for itself, but it can produce fruit. And it's the gardener's responsibility to dress it and to keep it so that it can do what it's designed to do. Do you see that? The husbandman 
has the responsibility to give what is required and to make sure nothing takes from that process, nothing takes from that garden, from that plot, so that the fruit can be born and can be received. If that fruit is not born and received, it's not the garden's fault, it's the husbandman's fault. Your wife is your garden. Is everybody with Do I need to make application? She's designed by God to bear fruit. She's designed by God to be glorious <laughs> to you. That's how she's made. That's the fruit that he might present himself to a what? Himself a, a what? A glorious church. <clears throat> no spot. No wrinkle. Uh, she's your glorious, glowing bride, you know? That's what she's designed to be to you. And if she's not, why not? Oh, yeah, somebody didn't provide for her and protect her. Somebody was a bad husbandman, and something got into that marriage relationship, something got to your bride, something got to your garden, and it spoiled the fruit. You're the husbandman. She's the garden. And the imagery just keeps going, okay? If this were sex ed, I would just use this exact same illustration and explain to you how the birds and the bees work. You're a husbandman. You're a gardener. You're mad at your wife because she's not performing? Well, it's because you're not a good gardener. You need to tend your plot. It's the same thing with your children. Your children are supposed to grow up following hard after the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the fruit of your loins. Are you tending? Are you providing and protecting it? Your wife, I want you to get this down in your notes if it's not there. Your wife and your kids are a reflection of your investment. Your wife and your kids are a reflection of your investment. And if they're fouled, it's because you weren't the husband and the father that God called you to be. You wanted them to be there for your satisfaction. You wanted them to be there for your joy, your happiness. But you've got to put the work into that garden. Gardens aren't easy to grow. Uh, but, it, I mean, there's just nothing quite like a beautiful, healthy garden, a bountiful garden. It's just fun to walk through one. You don't want to walk through my garden. I do really good up until about harvest time. And that's whenever I, once we started a Bible school, I realized I'm not a gardener anymore. And so, it, yeah, you have to be diligent. If you're going to get what you're supposed to get from those plants, you have to be diligent. You can't quit on them. You can't get them halfway and then get busy. You know, well, they know not to touch the stove. Good luck, son. I'm proud of you. you no, you, you have to be diligent. You're providing and you're protecting. You're shaping and you are, you are aiming those arrows. So again, we're talking about the roles tonight. Husbands. In Ephesians 5, let's just go back up to verse 21. We'll end with this. And then we'll pick this message up tomorrow. What time do we start in the morning? Do we know? Nine? The first session's at nine? Breakfast is at eight. First session is at nine. Okay, so we'll pick this back up at nine. But uh, just real quick, go, just go back up to verse 21. Uh, who's this written to? It's written to the church. You're in the church. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. That's why First Peter chapter 3 says, likewise. Just like the wives have to submit, likewise, husbands, here's how you submit. Can you submit to your wife? Ooh, pastor, that's starting to sound like heresy. I don't, 
Go Ephesians 5.21. Who do you submit to? Submitting yourselves one to another. Why? As it's fit in the Lord. In the fear of the Lord. Do you see that parallel? You submit yourselves one to another as it is fit in the Lord. In the fear of God. That's fit. Can you submit to your wife? If not, why not? She's another. Well, pastor, again, have you met my wife? That's a road to ruin. If I submit to her, we'll be broke tomorrow and homeless. <laughs> okay. Submission must be in the Lord, right? It has to be fit. Submit as it's fit. So can I submit to my wife? Well, my submission, absolutely, as long as it's biblical. I don't have to submit to crazy. I don't have to submit to wrong. I don't have to submit to error. I submit as it's fit, right, as it's fit in the Lord. I submit in fear of God. Uh, I, I don't just submit because it's another. My wife is another, so I have to submit. No, as long as it's biblical. So get this down in your notes. Submission to others that falls out to rebellion against the word of God is always disaster. If, it's, if your submission to another means your rebellion against God's word, well, that's not going to end well. It will be disaster, and that's exactly what we see in Genesis 3. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, and she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons, and they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. So get this down in your notes and we'll, we'll, we'll finish right here. Adam submitted to Eve in rebellion against God. And that was a life-taking decision. But Christ esteemed us better in Philippians 2 in submission to God. He didn't die for us in rebellion against God like the first Adam did. He did it in submission to God and that was a life-giving decision. And so we'll pick up on that theme tomorrow. If your submission is not fit, if it's contrary to God's word, that will end in disaster every time. But I can submit to you as long as it's fit. I can submit to you in the fear of the Lord. What did God say? Well, as long as I'm not messing that up, what did God say? Everything's on the menu. There's one tree that's not on the menu. Do not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. God so loved the world. It's just two people. He's not willing that any would perish. And so he gave the gospel. Everything's on the menu. Just don't eat this tree. It will kill you. You will surely die. You shall not surely die. For God doth know in the day that ye eat thereof, you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Huh. If you say so. That's genius. Okay. You, God's holding out on me. He doesn't want me to be like him, knowing good and evil. Well, that, that stingy creator, <laughs> why would he do that? I thought he loved me. I mean, you see how upside down everything gets so quickly? It, that submission was not fit in the Lord. It wasn't in the fear of God. And so it was disaster. Adam rebelled, and it took a life. It took, their li it took the life of humanity. Christ submitted to God. And now we're born again. Father, I thank you for my brothers. I thank you for our time together. And Lord, I just pray that you would open our eyes and give us insight in terms of the relational uh, dynamic, the relational structure, the, 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 the authority, but also the accountability 
that's implicit in our role as husbandmen, as husbands to our brides. And, and Lord, I pray for my brothers that, that it wouldn't just be insight for husbands, that we'd all recognize how we're supposed to treat one another. Lord, help us to be a, be a, a company of men who go after the hearts of our wives and the hearts of our brethren who esteem them better than ourselves. and Lord, that it please your heart that you would see uh, just in that same in that same illustration, you know, of the garden that we would grow and that, that, that the fruit of our lives that it would bear great glory to you. You deserve all the glory. So God, have all your way. Let your word rule over our hearts and lives. Open our eyes. But Lord, pour out your spirit and conviction. Don't let us get away with lying to ourselves over the ways that we neglect or misuse or or even abuse the people that you've placed in our life for us to provide for and to protect, to care for and to keep. Lord, these people that you put in our lives so that we can lay our lives down loving them. Uh, You gave them to us with that goal in mind. And and thank you for it. You're a genius. Uh, You think of everything. You do all things well. Lord, I pray for my brothers that we'd see it. And that, Lord, it'd please your heart. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.